Are you living your best life as a salesperson or entrepreneur? Or do you find you're working all the time on this hamster wheel of life while stressed out and not financially free, which is the exact opposite of what you had signed up for, especially now in this global pandemic? If this is you, you are not alone. I found myself there in 2008 when I lost everything, including my health, and had to pivot working from home for the first time with no money. I rebuilt my life from scratch, juggling motherhood and marriage to get my life back and be recession and pandemic proof today. Now we live laptop lifestyles with our kids and are poised to travel the world together. How did we do it? Join me as I share my health and wealth and wisdom secrets, tips, tools, and expert interviews to equip you to be recession-proof and live your best life. My name is Lois Kofi, and this is Healthy and Wealthy and Wise. All right, all right, all right, everyone. Good afternoon, good evening, uh, wherever you are live. Um, if you're on, please go ahead and hit hashtag live. If you're watching the replay later, hashtag replay. My name is Coach Lois Kofi, and today we have a special edition of Healthy and Wealthy and Wise, and it's a, it's a really important day. Um, if you saw the opening credits, you know that this is the fifth anniversary of Prince's passing, and we want this to be a celebration and a tribute to him. So I'm gonna go ahead and bring on our amazing guests all the way from Minneapolis. Jesse and Rich are here in the house. I'm so yeah. excited to have you guys yeah. here. Good Doing to awesome. Got to awesome. Here. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I, I realized uh, two months ago that we were coming up on this this anniversary, and I wanted to wanted to do something and and celebrate. You know, it's been five years. I can't believe it. It seems like it was just yesterday. Um, and so I wanted to, uh, I know I met Rich, we couldn't figure it out when it was 2009, 2010, somewhere in there, and we connected, and I found out that you had actually moved to Minneapolis for Prince, and, and so did Jesse. So I'm going to let you guys go ahead and share your story, and also maybe a, how, you, how you got to connect with Prince and a, a favorite memory while you're at it. You go first. <laughs> oh, of course. Well, I moved to Minneapolis for Prince because um, I just heard this music and it just electrified me back in 2010, his first album. That was the first album I heard, 2010. And um, it just excited me. And as the years progressed, of course, I heard about Paisley Park. And I first went to Paisley Park in 2013, in October of that year. Prince actually reached out to me because I was so excited about him. I was making all these videos on YouTube and um, he saw some of those videos of mine and we formed a good connection. And it was like, dude, you got to move to Minneapolis. <laughs> so eventually in October, I went for the first time and obviously it was a life-changing experience. I saw him there. I saw him the year previous or the same year earlier in the year in March, South by Southwest. That was my first print show um, because he paid for me to see him there. He arranged this amazing experience for me to get a chance to see him at the end of that show. But that was like the start of like my Prince journey from 2010 to South by Southwest to Paisley Park. And then finally moving out here um, in 2015 because the year like 2014, I was, I mean, my life with Prince would, I would say from, I mean, I spent the last three years of his life here at Paisley Park. I mean, I moved here 2015, but I was just a huge fan. Like it all started, like 2013 was the start of the new era with Third Eye Girl and just like the MPG with the horns and stuff. And so uh, give or take, 
I've been on this journey for 10 years with Prince. So <laughs> that's my brief little intro. What started for me, I think I was, when I was six in 1982 and hearing his music, definitely a little red Corvette, uh, trying to navigate my young self through lyrics that I've never heard, didn't know who this guy was, and living two and a half hours away from Paisley Park, uh, not realizing that it was just outside of, you know, Minneapolis. And so went through my teens, enjoyed his music. Nobody else did that I knew. Kind of took my private drives with album releases the night that it would come out at midnight and just educating myself, <clears throat> not just from a histor historical perspective, but also lyrical and how it spoke to me. Um, then when I got to see him in December of 97, uh, everything changed because I realized that he would invite people out after arena shows to go to Paisley Park. And none of us knew where that was. So we ended up just driving home that night, um, two and a half hours up, two and a half hours back. Sad that I couldn't experience that. But once I got um, the address, uh, once I moved up in the summer of 98, because I um, got accepted to a music school downtown Minneapolis and I was gonna be become a recording engineer and I wanted to work for him. But the reality is when the liaisons told me, you might wanna work with him, but you might not like getting the calls at three in the morning and you might not wanna be out there for a week straight. So I said, okay, well, they gave me a month free for um, school. I stepped back, just started attending, um, you know, parties, concerts out there. And I knew that's where I had to be. I was like 22, 23 years old. And uh, I could I could live with no sleep and go out there at midnight or one in the morning. And it just became a journey. And, you know, 18 years of my life, I was going to these late night concerts. And um, just even a year, year and a half after I moved up is when I met him. But we can talk about that later. Awesome. Yeah. And I just wanted to give a shout out to people that have, have been joining us, guys. Feel free to comment below if you have a favorite Prince memory or, you know, we're going to be covering a lot of great stuff. Alex from Minnesota. We got Scott in Mexico and we got someone from Morocco. Med, great to see you in Morocco. We know that Prince was loved by the global community, the global world. And I, I kind of a funny story you reminded of my first Prince sighting. I was seven. Um, I was being babysat in a bar um, <laughs> what, and I, I was watching Purple Rain and I still remember, I still remember seeing Prince and Purple Rain, yeah. uh, you know, while I was being babysat in the bar and going, oh my God, I'm in love with him. I don't think I said that, yeah. but I think my spirit said that. And so I became became a fan and I moved to, I remember moving to Minneapolis in 1999. And so I always kind of joked that, you know, it was Prince's fault that I, I moved there that year, but it, it wasn't, wasn't the same as you guys' stories. I'd love to hear, cause you guys have such a connection with him. What is your favorite memory? Anything juicy, fun? Oh, too many. Too um, many, right, there we go. It, I think more than anything is when the first time that I walked into Paisley, how great it smelled. And yeah. it was the it was the incense, the candles, the women smelled better than me. Uh, I, I was so intimidated to even talk to them that the, everybody was beautiful. Everybody was 
You had to be on your game. I'm going to just say, if you're going to Paisley Park, please. Well, at the time when Prince was (laughs) around, we always dressed to the nines. And um, I was just of the impression. I think everyone should be of the impression, you know, like Prince, he always looked good. And it's like, if you come into his career, so follow that that sentiment. Mm-hmm. It gave me the opportunity to finally bust out uh, when I used to wear my fedora hat all the time. Right, I, like, that's I, like, all rich. We yeah. used to wear back and forth with the fedora. <laughs> it was cool because it's like you know that's rich with the fedora. Everybody had their little style. You know, they would have maybe a little suit jacket, something. Um, but yeah, he's right. Everybody dressed to the nines, and um, it was the place to be. But ironically, and when I looked, I took took a step back. The best times that I ever had was was in a suburb of Minneapolis. <laughs> All right, <laughs> it's, it's true. It, it wasn't downtown. It wasn't just First Avenue. It was it was his house. It was became my church, and we've talked about this before too. That um, his his parents um, were in a church, and the my parents always wanted me to go to church. Right, but I I looked at that as my my sanctuary, my my healing, mm-hmm. the the place where people came together and uh shared the music and and uh hugged each other and everybody was accepted ate together afterwards like Mm -hmm. we were really a family paisley park cultivated this sense of family all of us were really linked together because Mm -hmm. we're all there never knowing what could happen that was how it was always branded you never know what may happen and keep in mind that could mean prince don't show up which happened many times (laughs) over many stories you can think of where it's like oh something's happened and then you show out and he's not even there but um, even still, it's like it's always a memory. It was always something that you knew you couldn't predict. And it always left you dumbfounded afterwards. Like, did we really experience yeah. that or was it just a dream or what What was this experience? But it definitely allowed us to have this insatiable desire to want to be there all the time. And mm-hmm. that's what really made me move here, because before I moved here, I was in Texas. And of course, Prince South by Southwest, that was the only show he did. He's not he didn't really travel there. So I was like when am I going to see him? Like, how am I going to see this dude? And he would announce these shows randomly. A lot of times you had to, you know, keep track with the moon because he would a lot likely do it on a moon cycle, a full moon or a new moon. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just never knew. And if you missed it, it sucked. Like it <laughs> sucked to know that you missed Prince performing live because you never knew what that performance would look like, what song he would do, what the energy would feel like. And we experienced some intense shows and it was always just like, did we really experience yeah. it? You know, like, was that something that just happened? And can we have that happen again? And yeah, we were lucky because we got to see him a lot of times. There was some times that I was driving home uh, by myself at five, six in the morning, uh, pinching myself. And I and I knew that I had to work in maybe an hour or two. Right. Yeah. And I was like, how am I going to go to sleep? And meanwhile, a lot of people had the weekends off. I have always worked weekends. And so if I could get a half hour nap in, maybe 15 minutes, I was happy. But <laughs> you could not come down from that. It was a high, yeah. purple high for real. Like we were all so jittery. And we always went to Perkins afterwards. Um, to and get we pancakes. Were, yeah, to get pancakes. <laughs> and just really be like, yo, remember the time he just went into that solo? Remember when the band member did this or that? So mm-hmm. we just had this insatiable desire to share and want more of it because he, towards the last three years of his life, he opened Paisley Park larger, you know, in a way that he didn't do before. Cause yeah. I mean, you lived, he yeah. obviously has been to Paisley many times over. Yeah. Um, I moved out here in 2015. And before then Prince flew me out to come out here various occasions mm-hmm. to listen to his um, 
album Hidden Run. No, actually, it was Artificial Age and Plectrum Electrum. But I knew even before I moved out here that the music scene, it's not just Prince, it's like there's bunkers, you know, before COVID, of course, it was more yeah. likely, mm -hmm. but it was almost an energy in the air when he was here. Like you Paisley Park, it. you could feel it. Like mm -hmm. it was just unmistakable. And you knew if you saw that Prince was going to Paisley Park, you was going to clear your day. It didn't matter what plans. I remember I was on a date with my girl at the time and I was like, baby, you either come with me or I'm going to have to leave you here because I am not missing this show. Because uh, it's just the hurt of missing Prince um, and seeing him perform. And that's one of my favorite memories. Like Rich said, there's so many memories to count, but I had the, pl the pleasure of actually running the teleprompter for Prince the last few months of his last band configuration when he had Donna on guitar, Kirk Johnson on the drums, Mono Neon on bass, and he, of course, playing the guitar. And he knew that I loved just his music. So just for me to be at, I was obviously very nervous running a teleprompter for Prince, making sure all the lyrics are as he goes into the songs, because that's the thing with Prince is like, he could flow into his song so fast. And that's why I was committed with the job because he knew, okay, he'll be able to know what song I'm about to go into. But like, so yeah, those are my favorite moments. Just seeing Prince perform with the band because he's doing solos, he's doing all kind of stuff that he, and Paisley Park, it almost felt like when he performed there, he performed in a very natural way. It wasn't like a studio, a, a stadium show, which nothing against stadium shows. If you've if you've seen Prince, you know, live at any time when he was around, it's a luxury. But if you've seen him at Paisley Park, is it was a different feel because the improvisation, the inner, the the sound of Paisley Park. Oh, state of the art, million, state of the million art. dollar system. I mean, there was there will be nothing ever like that in the world. And for him to set it up in suburban Minneapolis, right in the middle of nowhere, um, with futuristic, you know, exterior design panels that look like a spaceship, uh, <laughs> that he also called the White Mansion. I think he did a song right. um, on one of his nice yeah. 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 and um, that was it was more than just a big white mansion. It was our church. But um, one thing I, I remember, I just I just remembered was there was one particular night where he, I think it was in nine. 1999 he was growing his hair out and he wore these hoop earrings and i could tell that there was commotion over my left shoulder and i looked over and all these people started to part um the crowd and he was wearing like a turtleneck and these like um obviously slacks that only prince could wear um and he sashayed with his little walk um with his high heels on sparkly and he just split the room and everybody just kind of stepped back and said oh my god everybody got quiet while the dj was playing the music and he could walk the room and everybody would give right. him space yeah um you could also feel when he was by you you could turn around right. and he could disappear um but there's that's a not a lie either i mean it's many cases where he would be behind you and then he wouldn't within a second or so. You could feel him always. Um, and then when you would get on stage, everybody got silent and- Right, yeah, right. <laughs> it's not like at Paisley, it's not like at a, a a big show where someone's drunk and they're like, 17 days or pretty purple, you know? <laughs> everyone at Paisley Park, it's a reverence type of thing, you know? He would get on stage everyone was just like, you know, what is he gonna do? 
and just we would surrender to whatever that feeling. But ultimately, he wanted us to dance. He wanted us to yeah. have a good time. I usually but, didn't. <laughs> I would sit like a wallflower just in awe. But um, the the other thing that we should point out is that during those days, in all the days, uh, any electronic equipment, phones, in, in later years when things got, you know, smartphones, everything was banned. You were in the moment with him. He wanted you to be there. He encouraged that. He even would say that in arena shows, but people would break the rules. Right. Um, but the fact that you were present in his house and mm. he was taking you to church um, yeah. every night. And if he didn't, you know, if we, we like, like you said, we didn't know what to expect, but we were along for the journey and we would stay there until the sun came up. We didn't care when, when the lights went up, that's when we had to go right. home. And, <laughs> but he, he gave us so many brilliant shows and so much joy over the years. And that's, what I choose to celebrate every day, not just in, on a day like today. Everybody should be playing his music every day, not not right. looking to like the milestone years of one year, five year, 10, 20. Um, if he's in your life and he has been in your life, uh, or he, if you can share his music with someone else to get them in their life, we've done our job as Purple family. Right. And, um, that's what he would want. And we're still talking about him and he's still bringing people together. And that's the beautiful thing is that um, we've, we're, we're carrying on his legacy some awesome way, just even talking about it today. I love that. And you guys reminded me of a couple of my favorite stories. I never had the pleasure. I, ha I had invites, but I, I chose motherhood and sleep <laughs> over going out to Paisley. And my kids are like, mom, that was stupid. Why didn't you right. go? We would have been okay. <laughs> but I remember Oprah asking him, why, did he, why Minneapolis? You know, and yeah. he's, why do you live there? And, um, you know, he was diehard wow. Minneapolis, right? And he said, yeah, he, he, it's so cold, it keeps the bad people out. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, anyway, look, I'm from the South, and I understand why he said that in a sense, because maybe, you know, he was born here, but <laughs> it's cold. I'm a good guy, and I've, be I've become a bad guy because of the cold. So I don't know what that theory kind of where that falls on. It's like, yeah, it's cold here. No one wants to. I mean, the idea of me coming out here was really because the music hit me that hard. Like it hit me hard because my background coming from a religious family who we didn't really listen to any music outside of gospel Christian music. So mm -hmm. when I finally opened my ears to more than that, Prince was like a universe for me like mm -hmm. a universe. It was beyond the earth. It was the galaxies, the stars. And I love that it was so contradictory because it was spiritual, but it was sexual. And mm -hmm. you, usually those two things don't mix. Like you, you, you're talking about the Lord's prayer with the bikini, it's Prince. Like he'll do something like that. It's like, that's a contradiction, but he didn't mind those contradictions. He actually welcomed them. And so it's like the whole Prince thing for a lot of people, it starts in different places. It doesn't matter where you start. I mean, I started it when I was 18. Some people remember, you know, six as soon as they were born. Mm -hmm. But he gets you when you really listen and you connect beyond the surface, beyond the purple. It's like I was speaking earlier. I think we all relate to purple. I mean, I'm wearing a purple thing for God's sakes. But still, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's all about the kaleidoscopic aspect of him because Prince wore all colors. Mm -hmm. If you look at his career, he wore everything. Which means it's like he gave you a bit of this, a bit of that. And I think he even shocked people when he came out in orange. Right. At the Grammys. <laughs> at the Grammys. I love that. And he had, <laughs> he had the, uh, those beaded. Right. But only he could have done that. 
and he had his, you know, his uh, diamond encrusted cane out there and he shut the room down and he was only there to present a word to Beck. Right. And, <laughs> and everybody was just about, you know, on their feet bowing down because they hadn't seen him on a stage like that for a while. I think it was, was that 2013 right. Grammys, I believe when 15, 2015 yeah. his, his Afro was coming into shape and, and we were, it was almost like a full circle too. I mean, just exactly. And that's not just with the glasses, but like from the purple rain era, but when he started out as a kid and got his first record deal, he had a big Afro and, you know, cut his hair off through all the, the years between albums. Um, but to return to his look that got him a record deal mm-hmm. and to let to it leave go. on that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that was an accident. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was intentional. Because Prince pretty much planned everything in his life. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no way you look at all the different faces of Prince, all of the different outfits, all the different flavors of music, and not see somebody completely determined to structure their career to his demands. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what made him different. Prince was not afraid to tell the label, the record industry. I mean, his first record, you have Earth, Wind, and Fire, some of the best producers of all time. In fact, I think Earth, Wind, and Fire are the best band, is the best band of all time. They wanted to produce Prince's record. He said, no. I love you, Earth, Wind, and Fire. I love you, Maurice White, yeah. but you can't produce my record. And that says a lot. Being that determined continually throughout his career um, and fighting also for the notion of that, saying that, you know, independent artists have to own their own record. Do not let the label own it because mm-hmm. if the label owns it, you're a slave. I mean, he didn't mind making those risks. And I wasn't around in the 90s, but from what people tell me, people thought he was crazy. You know, he changed mm-hmm. his name to a symbol. It was kind of like, why are you doing this? Why are you going so far with this point? And he ended up being the last one laughing because that's what we all see now. No one wants to be signed to a label. Well, a lot of people, if not having that education may do it, but mm-hmm. if you really know how the system works, no, you want to do it on your own because you don't want someone else taking most of the profit and just exploiting you in other ways. So, I mean, that kind of foresight, he was definitely a seer in so many ways. Awesome. I just got a shout out to Tracy Brinkman and Wisconsin who loves, loves Prince. Thanks Tracy for being here. My last my last podcast guest last week, if you guys haven't seen his show, um, you guys mentioned pancakes, and I remember Chappelle. Did he ever talk about Chappelle and the pancake story? Well, he did have a, um, a bre- the breakfast right. experience. Uh, it was October 2013. You where, went to that show. Yeah, and we, we, we came out, I think it was a later entry um, into the park, but served pancakes around 5 in the morning. Um, we thought it was a joke that he was going to do it, but <laughs> he went on late, played late. Um, everybody, oh, that, that wasn't the pajama night, wasn't, that was another, night. I wasn't at that show. And that yeah. was another moment where I was like, man, <laughs> what? Like, because he did this show shortly after the first print show I went to, which was October 5th, the October surprise yeah. with yeah, the MPG. Yeah. And oh. that show was amazing. Especially because after the show, he also did a private show that I was a part of because Joshua Welton, who was Hannah, who was Hannah's um, husband, he took me aside and he was like, you know, bring some of your friends and we're going to go into this studio A where, or it was Studio B, I believe. And Prince did a short show. He did two songs, but it was amazing. I mean, it was just like life changing because it was just 50 of us in this room. He had all gold on and he actually told me at that time that he, he brought his guitar for me. I was really happy because my first Prince show, he didn't play guitar. And I love Prince on guitar. It's my favorite thing. 
And as happy and excited as I was to see Prince for the first time, he did not perform guitar. So I was like, I mean, I told him how happy I was. And I'm like, why didn't you perform guitar? You know, so, but he told me in his words, the band was on point. I didn't have to. And he was right. I mean, the band was really great. But this second time I seen, I seen him at Paisley Park. And this, I see him in this small little space. He has his guitar and it just blew my mind. But that was a bit, that was the only guitar he played at that time. So about two weeks later, he did this breakfast experience, what Rich is talking about. Yeah. And he played guitar the whole, I mean, that mm-hmm. show, I mean, you guys have to suffer outside in the mm-hmm. cold for a while, I mean, <laughs> for a long time. I want to say it was really like really cold, mm-hmm. but he did an amazing show and I missed that show and I was pissed. <laughs> so many so many events that he had in October. He had something with that month he loved. But I also remember from those October shows in 2013, he actually merged two bands together between yeah. his his um third eye girl that was formed in late 2012 that debuted at the Dakota Jazz Club in January and that he played six shows and three nights, two sets each night. Um, and they were they were still building on that, but them to merge with the MPG horns and uh, there was what probably twenty some musicians on yeah, stage. so many people um, on stage. It was it was like a the only other person I can think that had that many on there was either George Clinton right. in, in the Parliament of Funkadelic or Fela Kuti um, mm-hmm. that would have sometimes like 30, 40, 50 band members in the seventies, and I would hear about that. Yes, but. It, it was mind blowing to to just it was overstimulation, but there was so much talent at one stage and so like top notch. Then you you know that he was going to bring up the best in all of them, and we were treated uh, barely. I mean, even the entry fee was probably I don't know twenty thirty dollars back then, but right. we still had uh, he'd perform for three, four, five hours, and we always. I mean, it wasn't even about the money. We got our money's worth. Right. But it was about the experience and to see the top-notch musicians throughout the years that he surrounded himself with. Or, you know, if he wanted to do solo like his final tour, like the last time that we saw him perform a set on January 21st, 2016, which was life-changing um, absolutely by itself. But at, even at that time, for him to come full circle um, and finally actually do uh, a concert for or by himself in the the revealing the naked uh aspect of him stripping everything down to a piano that was life-changing yeah it was it was the best night of my life straight up so if i had to pick the best um memory it probably would have been that other than the fact the night that i i met him a year after i moved up but still when it comes down to the configurations of the stages in each room and any given moment, any given year, he pulled you in and it, it was family. It was, uh, he knew who, who loved him and who wanted to be close to him and feel that cause he wanted to share that energy. And, um, that's, that's what we would walk away from just feeling better. And yeah. And like, I always say, it always felt like I was going to church and that, dollars at the door that we gave was our donation and the, the people in the house under his um paisley park the roof was that was the congregation and he right. would take us but um you know i i never even growing up catholic i kind of pushed that away um because i i was a rule breaker but i wanted to 
that was that was my my therapy for years and i i i still wish i i could be experiencing that because it was the best feeling in the world to have that and also talk to the musicians afterwards because they were all good people he right. surrounded himself with the best kind of people that would that would um mirror his talents and everything he could write for um it yeah it just that we miss it there's nobody like him yeah. i definitely put minneapolis on the map uh, and i know we all remember this i put this question on the screen yeah. i'd love for you guys to share i know i was in disney world which sucked yeah. Because oh, wow. I, I didn't want to be there anymore. Oh. It was the Buzz Lightyear ride. My husband sent me a text message, and I wanted to get on a plane to Minneapolis at that point. I stayed up till three in the morning, crying my eyes out. But anyway, do you guys want to share where you were and what that day was well, like for you? I was in New Zealand um, at the time because I left. Yeah, I was doing a lot in 2015, 2016. I actually told Prince I was going to New Zealand because I was working for him at the time, of course. And I said, you know, I'm going to New Zealand for three months. I was doing this project called Characters in the Wind. And um, he's like, all right, I'll see you when you get back. And even before he mm -hmm. passed away, he did one impromptu show on the 16th of April. And they called me and they asked if I can do tours because I was doing tours at the time. And I'm like, I'm not in the States yet. I'll be back in a month. Or actually, at that, at that time, it was about two weeks. So... I wasn't able to go to that. Um, mm -hmm. So a good friend of mine called me and just told me, did you see? I'm like, what? And then, of course, it all followed through and I, I was able to get the information. And it just the surreal feeling of it all. But I think what happened for me shortly after that was me really piecing together all of the memories and mm -hmm. how I saw like what Rich mentioned from the beginning, he had the Afro and then in the end, he had the Afro. And then if you listen to the albums he did before he passed, there were a lot of songs that even at the time, I remember when we all listened to him, we, we felt some kind of way. He had, he released a song called Way Back Home. Oh. And that song, I remember, I remember mm -hmm. just being in the Prince community, everyone just felt conflicted about mm -hmm. that because it felt so, it's like Prince doesn't want to be here. He's talking about death. He's talking mm -hmm. about dreams. All these things sort of felt relating to transcendence really. And yeah. he even used that word a lot often towards the end, transcendence, transcendence. Mm -hmm. And so I pieced together everything. It's like, you know, Prince gave his whole life to us through his music, mm -hmm. his whole life. And he shared the last three years, if you were in Minneapolis, you were able to be at Paisley Park. You were able to see him even more intimately. Mm -hmm. We saw that piano and microphone 2016, January 21st. I don't think not, one person in that room did not cry oh, at some point because yeah. it was so overwhelming. Like all of us were in this together, seeing Prince mm -hmm. perform with just the piano, giving his whole story. Both mm -hmm. shows he told us just how he developed his art. And it his was father. like, yeah, he talked about his father and just bringing it back to mm -hmm. love, bringing it back to what it's all about. So it was like, uh, understanding grief. I was like, you know, I understand why he, cause you know, of course, after he passed away, the world went to shit. Uh, <laughs> everyone can know, you know, 2016, you know, Trump came in and then like, everybody just started going crazy. And Prince pretty much, I, like I said, I believe he was a seer. He saw that and he's like, I'm, I'm gone. Like I'm not. Peace out. Right. Peace. So, but he left such a legacy. And again, this is something that's unfolding. So it's not like it, it ever stops really like he's very much still here through his music. Mm -hmm. 
I I remember going to I, I knew I had to go to work that day um, at noon and I woke up and I'd always go down the like a mile in the road to get my coffee and I came back and um, the, on on Facebook someone I think it was for Carver County Sheriff page or something uh, it was a just a vague statement that it said um, uh, middle-aged male uh, found unresponsive at Paisley Park. And I, I was thinking, I'm like, you know, who could that be? Could it be, did he have a middle-aged male bodyguard assistant? Was it, was it his band member? Could have, could it be anybody? Could it be a groundskeeper? I don't know. Um, but they're not for a second. I thought it was him. I, right. And that was what it was for me. Like too, when I heard that portion, I'm like, well, it ain't Prince. Like I literally put it on people who I'm not, they shall go unnamed, but I was assuming all of these other people. And I'm like, it ain't Prince. It ain't Prince. Can't be. Can't be. Can't be. We just. I was thinking about what he had planned for the summer 2016. Mm -hmm. We were private to knowing he was going to have these summer parties. So I was so looking forward to the summer because it was supposed to be just mm -hmm. so much activity. And so I would say most of us just like we're like, nah, it ain't Prince. No, no way. I remember coming back from. I was sipping my coffee, and it started the news started to break and it went national and I, I checked on multiple um, news outlets, you know, CNN. And, um, and for, that was the first header that I saw um, that had his name uh, attached to it. And I, I, I still was in shock and I was expected still to go to work. Um, and I, I just sat there and, and I just bawled for, uh, felt like hours, but I remember I got in the shower, went to work, still crying. They, they said, uh, do you need to go home? And I go, yes. And I sat in the parking lot of Lifetime Fitness and the current radio station uh, immediately changed their programming over and started playing his I music. Remember. And um, I just sat, I couldn't move. I, I sat there for an hour and uh, incapacitated. I couldn't eat, couldn't think, nothing. And I ultimately drove home. I went in and I laid down on the couch and my, my puppies knew that I, there was hurt and they sat on my, um, they sat on my chest and they just looked at me. They're kind of looking the tears off there. And I said, this can't be real. This can't be, you know, this, this is not, this is not true. We just, we just saw him like days ago and, and he was talking about the future um and to to save your prayers but you know even even when the rescheduled shows the final shows in atlanta yeah. uh and the word was going out that he had the flu and then uh, emergency plane stopping in moline illinois and everything is all right don't worry don't worry we just wanted him to rest mm -hmm. but we still couldn't wrap our head around what right. you know even days later after after that news came out so it it's you know i'm still in shock that i just i always told myself uh he's on a long tour you know I, there was there's a period of time where i didn't see him for five years because he was living in la and then performing las vegas and maybe out in florida too in the mid 2000s and it's not a way to deal with it realistically but i just told myself he's on an extended tour i'll see him again one day mm -hmm. and 
hopefully in heaven or wherever he is, he's got the best band in the world right now. Right. Um, <laughs> but let's hope that he's, you know, he's still, he's still showing signs to all of us in different ways. And it was immediate, you know, not just the day that he passed and everybody went out to Paisley Park to put something on the memorial fence and how it was raining and there's a purple glow. I couldn't go out right. there for three days. And my, it was my birthday week that week on the 26th. I finally mustered up to go out there at the evening of the 24th. And it was just me and maybe five other people. And of those five was like two flight attendants that were on, on the layover. And we just talked, you know, an umbrella in hand, uh, took a few photos and um, I said goodbye. And I, I felt him, you know, with there's the, the, the solemn, the, the, uh, the feeling of it too, just like how perfect the it kept raining and kept raining. Right. It was like the sky, the, the sky was crying, but we were still mourning. We, we, we figured that he was just beyond that gate that he was just, you know, recovering or something. Right. But yeah, it, the skies were purple. The, the skies yeah. literally turned purple. It was so weird. <laughs> that was like a real thing. I mean, it was just, the rainbow came out. It's like Prince was definitely connected to spirit. I mean, mm. you can't really doubt that. <laughs> he, he's orchestrating things from the sky still and pulling strings and we still feel it. And I think He's either shaking his head or he's smiling down, <laughs> or maybe both. <laughs> both. <laughs> so, um, but he knew, like like I say all the time, he knew who his true family was. In those final years that we were there, um, those people that showed up, whether it was 10, 20, 30 people, he knew just by looking out who his real family was. And we felt honored to share those and knowing that he was moving ahead to include more people internationally and make big plans and literally saying on a final band tour with the third eye girl when he was playing gigs in um, london for example he said next time i want to see y'all i want to see y'all in my house you're you're all invited and but we were hoping that he would give us give those people notice so they could actually fly and not drop a thousand dollars for a plane ticket all we had to do is drive 20 minutes out to the burb you know but yet big plans he was making obviously but when we also found out that he was going to play um the opening concert for um not the u.s bank uh, the, super where, bowl was he gonna uh, play at the super bowl i think or there was a hunch that he would you know because that was coming up in a oh year yeah too. that's right and, yeah. and most likely he would have been chosen for the first time as a repeat artist but in this hometown which made sense but um i think where the vikings played when that stadium opened he was scheduled to be the first musical act yeah um, instead i think metallica played which ironically yeah. was my first concert in 1991 <laughs> wearing a flannel and i wouldn't see prince until 1997 so like yeah. my musical journey was all over the place but it would have been amazing to see him in a big big arena like that mm -hmm. if the sound would have been good and he would have he would have made it good yeah okay. but, you know Speak yeah go ahead i was gonna say a couple of questions from the audience if you don't mind um which print song inspires you the most whether that's your favorite or which one inspires you the most was a question asked by the audience oh and that's hard <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, it depends on the mood. That's a very generic answer, but mm -hmm. it truly depends on the mood. I mean, if you're somber, I love listening to Prince instrumental albums. Mm -hmm. News, Expectation are two of the most brilliant albums, any of the Madhouse mm -hmm. albums. Um, I really just love listening to jazz improvisational Prince. The yeah. Rainbow Children is among my favorite eras. Deeply uh, spiritual album. Yeah, I love the spiritual, reflective um, songs in which Prince is kind of pissing people off. <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't do that ever, right? He never oh, did that. <laughs> he did that all the time. You know, a lot of people don't even listen to Prince. Honestly, I mean, truthfully, and I don't blame them because this man made so much music we're never going to, I had to tell this to a friend, you're not going to listen to all the Prince's music. You're not. Mm -hmm. Like the stuff that's released or even unreleased, like me and Rich, not shy to say, we wear our boots, right? Yep. And um, we know that there's a lot of Prince music, but that's not even scratching the surface. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to go to what you are feeling because he has so much type of music. And mm -hmm. it's not really about a favorite. It's our, because really all of it. It's a boot. Yeah, it's a mood. It's like what what you feeling? You feeling sad? You feeling angry? Play some gold experience. You know, you feeling sexy? Play some scandalous. Um, it's all about, and that's why it's hard for a lot of people. They don't know where to start. So I would always go to start where you're most, what you generally like, mm -hmm. and then yeah, go from there. I got my answer. Um, I remember the one of the first times I heard the song "Cream," and the lyrics that I always embraced was "Break the rules because you are the best." But we now know later in life that you wrote that while looking in the mirror. <laughs> right. Because, and he, he divulged that detail during the musicology acoustic set somewhere, I think it was in New York or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. he, he talked about that. And he's like, of course you wrote that while looking in the mirror. Um, right. And everything about that song. And I remember how, how much um, the album with the symbol album with uh, uh, Seven on there lyrically, <laughs> yeah. it, it blew my mind. I'm like, what is he talking about? Right. And, there, it, it, it was a journey that, you know, one song did not sound like the other. And you just, this is coming from one man. And right. so it, my teen, my teen years absorbing that and trying to wrap my head around the complexity of his lyrics and also the journey then we, we have loved him and I with um, the Rainbow Children. It was a journey that it was, within a year or two after he adopted um, or went on a journey with Jehovah's Witness with the mentor of Larry Graham, you know, um, on stage with him, finally performing. A lot of things shifted only a couple of years after I even moved up to Minneapolis. And I was glad to to see this journey all these years that I knew my teen years. Now this is my 20s and things change, obviously, musical taste throughout any decade in someone's life. Um, and I just started, you know, going back and digging into past uh, bootlegs because live recordings reveal a lot about him, too. He never does the same song twice. Yeah. Um, and y if you expect something to sound like the album version, forget it. You forget know? It. It, it's it, it's a journey that we're always willing to take. But, you know, collecting bootlegs and even bootleg vinyl and CDs and there was it was a global thing. He's the most bootleg artist in history. In history. And people love that, but they wanted more. That's why they would buy it or they would trade or they wanted to get into his head of what seeing him live after an after show, like somewhere at three in the morning would be 
Um, and that was an, another journey and I was willing to take it. So it, there's, there's so much that inspires a different year, a different decade of my life. And, um, we're still going on it because we're still digging into the vaults and who knows, I could have a different answer tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know that is the the challenge. I think I, I put that on my Facebook page and everyone was like, no, I can't pick one. Yeah. I know. Here's I, a, how can we oh. don't call me anymore? Cause it was my favorite piano ballad and that came out in 1982. It was, it was uh, added to 1993 uh, hits and B sides. I thought it was brilliant. I'm like, I want to hear more piano. Right. I know the guitar. I know everything else that I thought I did. But him on the piano and the ballads that he did, it, not just that one, but Adore and so many other ones that were, that threw you into uh, another stratosphere. And, and um, like I said, it comes down to the lyrics and what he made you feel and what you wonder what was in his head, but you could get into his head through that space and time. Those three, four or five minutes of a beautiful musical, you know, a, a journey. Journey. And, um, so yeah, it can it can change, but we're we're deeper than the average fan with knowing other catalogs that exist out there too. Yeah. So, they're kind of tears. I hate yeah. to be like that, but in the Prince community, you know, there are people who feel like, okay, if you don't know about this amount of music, mm -hmm. then you're not really a, a Prince fan. And I know that can bother a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, if you have heard all of now Prince has like what 39 or 40 studio albums about 40 with this dry. Right. I think. All right. Or so 40 studio albums. That's a lot. But mm -hmm. what happens is at some point, if you listen to whatever, it just clicks and yeah. you go through that. Like, yeah. I mean, multiple times over. So it's not like you just listen to it. And it's like, okay, the next thing uh, album can just get you for a, a long time. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, just following up on what you were saying, I think it's really just that the nature of finding, which you like the most. I saw that question about the, the film. I thought I'd bring that up now. I know we were gonna potentially close with this topic, but Eileen asked, will there be a documentary of his life? So do you wanna talk about what's coming up? Yeah, there's 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 a few things that I, I'm aware of that all, one, of them, one of which I participated in. Uh, we heard a couple of years ago that Netflix was going to do a multi-part documentary. Um, and originally there was a tie-in with director Ava DuVernay to be All right. the director on that project. She walked away. We don't know the reasons. Um, but what I was involved in that started in, uh, cause I live in North, North Minneapolis and I live within blocks of a lot of childhood homes of where Prince grew up and played and jammed and rehearsed, uh, so in March, 2018, an international film crew came to Minneapolis and they hired me to be kind of the point man, the archivist, the, the person on the ground to show locations that were um, integral to his childhood and him coming up. And um, so at that point, they would come in every few weeks, every few months to get a lot of footage as well as uh, interview so many people that were uh, early mentors to his life, including Spike Moss, and in good longtime friends, uh, uh, Q Bear, that works at KMOJ um, in North Minneapolis, that I got to meet for the first time three years ago, and a great man, all all great men, but also uh, some other women that I'd never heard of that were um, close to even uh, Andre Simone's parents and family, and the people that were growing up 
in the uh, late 50s and 60s in that part of North Minneapolis when uh, the race riots broke out in 1967 that he w personally witnessed that shaped him as a man. So this, this film that we did, uh, we ended up wanting to call it Mr. Nelson on the North Side, focus on his roots of where he came up and mm. who was there to give him an outlet, a place to jam, a place to rehearse, a place to be free and welcome and, and um, a little bit of a shelter, a little, you know, safe haven. And that place that uh, was co-founded by Spike Moss, I can't remember the other co-founder, but he, they called it The Way. And in the documentary, Spike is going to talk about that uh, in greater length. But I was there the day that he was interviewed in March 2018. And I sat across the table in this big boardroom and just absorbing this knowledge that I had no idea because I was born in 1976. You know, Prince, I uh, was born in 1958. He already got a lot of years on me at that point, but you know, I was going to be years away from learning what North Minneapolis meant to his life. And I was glad to be a part of the journey. So it's out of love. It's out of respect. Um, they're all the proceeds from the film is going back into a couple uh, community it's one of them is Hopewell Charity, and I, there's another one too. But um, they're they're trying to get this momentum built to relaunch the way to have yet an, uh, now in this generation a new location for the youth of the North Side to have a place not just to learn music but a, a safe place to be, just to be. And um, with all this that's going on in Minneapolis, obviously it's been a, it's been a tough week. I think we talked about it before we went on air. And um, this, in in the news of or the anniversary of today, and we we all felt like Prince is watching out over us and what he would have done hmm. if he was still here in these times of the Black Life Black Lives Matter movement, and what he would have done for our community even during the pandemic, hmm. to you know together to to keep us sane, um, and. It's hard to know, but you know, flash forward at least those stories that I, I learned and from those people that were his mentor mentors um, were are stunning. So it's a ninety-minute film. They're gonna um, it's debuting this Saturday, uh, April twenty-fourth. I think I can't can't remember. It's seven or eight central, but um. Is yeah. it on the website on the northside.com? Do, do they have the time on there? You think um, you can buy your digital pass, you know, still today, tomorrow. And I know there was some pre uh, panel discussions, um, uh, bonus footage that was happening. If you bought your ticket before today, that's going on pretty much right now or within the next hour, but everything launches virtually uh, this Saturday night. Okay, cool. So anyone anywhere could could go to onthenorthside.com. Yep. All the information will be there. There's a nice little bio, the backstory of, you know, um, who what to what to expect basically and why we did what we did. But the film crew, uh, California-based, South Carolina-based, two um, two members, the producers in uh, Toronto couldn't be here because of the COVID variant, uh, keeping them in lockdown. They can't leave, you know, we can't go to Canada either. So that's why it's all going to be streamed virtually. And, um, we were, we're happy with what it, how it turned out. I'm excited to see the final cut. I've only seen some footage a couple of years ago,
but they tighten everything up and they have the key players that need their stories to be told that have never been told. So I'm really excited for other people to hear and learn about a young prince and how he came up. That's so awesome. Yeah. So if you guys are not, you're listening to this in iTunes later and just go to onthenorthside.com. I'll make sure to put that in the show notes. Well, I know we're in the home stretch, guys, and I had two really big questions to finish out. I know you you actually started touching on this and I totally agree with you. I believe when Prince left, it was divine timing because there's been so much um, racial tension and and just different things. I mean, I, I used to live in the neighborhood where George Floyd was killed. And what do you think Prince would have done? I mean, he wrote that song about Baltimore after Freddie Gray died. I mean, do you have a sense of what he, if he was still here, what he would have been doing for the Minneapolis community, specifically George Floyd, and then now the Dante Wright death, who just, I think his funeral was today. Yeah. Um, Well, I think Prince would have united us with his music. Um, A lot of people don't know, but in fact, that song, Baltimore, funny story about that is I got a call um, and that call was to be given. I was given the song Baltimore to release on SoundCloud. um, And I just remember being so surprised. It was like 3 a.m. And (laughs) his manager called me and they're like, go to Prince Twitter.com slash forward slash three EG, Prince three EG. And I'm his first follower. I know a lot of people, you would have to go really scroll way down to check that. But I remember first being one of the first people to follow him on Twitter when he released his song Baltimore, um, which of course was about um, Freddie Gray and Michael Brown. And Prince has always had consciousness. I mean, he was an African man living in America. So he knew what it was like to have those tensions. Mm-hmm. And I think his recent song, Welcome to America, which is soon going to be an album, mm-hmm. is a great testament and reflection of how mm-hmm. Prince perceived the nature of American society. Um, mm-hmm. He's written so many songs mm-hmm. about it. And I think his premise was simply that we organize together and build collectively and not rely on you know, continual systems that oppress us. Mm-hmm. And again, the music, like his most recent song, I would encourage everyone to listen to Welcome to America. It's like, in a way, it's like someone would say, oh, Prince saw into the future, but it's not just that. It's also the system hasn't changed. <laughs> and unfortunately, we're repeating the same cycles because the issue hasn't really been dealt with correctly. And obviously Prince's galvanizer was the music. And so even with the um, the May was it May 23rd when he did the show for Freddie Gray? He asked everyone to go to Paisley, who went to Pace Park to wear Gray. And that show was one of the best shows yeah. ever. He did Dreamer. It's one of the yeah. best performances yeah. of Dreamer that's ever been done. But that song in itself, again, that song was released in 2009. And even then, Prince was talking about the government giving the bailouts to corporations and stuff. So it's like, if people really listen to his music, he says, I was born on the same plantation of the red and white, of the red, white, and blue. I never knew I was different until Dr. King was on a balcony lying in a bloody pool. Mm. Mm. I mean, mean, this is something that Prince has always been vocal about. So I would encourage people to just listen to his music, especially Mm. other stuff, but even Mm. in the 90s, like from the beginning, even in mountains, 
Prince. Mm, I love that song. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people, it's like Prince is even saying in mountains, he's like, Africa divided is enough to make your mind, lose your mind, which is, again, a reference to the apartheid, what was going on in mm. South Africa. So Prince was just always conscious mm. of these type of things. And I don't know why this surprises a lot of people when they hear these type of things, because it's like, Dude's been talking about it the whole time. Y'all just focused on the 80s and the purple rain and he looks cool and he's the very purple yep. rain. It's like, listen to his music. He's actually saying a lot of stuff and he's offering solutions. I mean, mm. I, he was a Jehovah's Witness and he was a spiritual man. So a lot of his solutions were sort of centered in the unifying love of humanity and mm. passion of us galvanizing together. Mm. But we can learn a lot from that. He always said we're in this together. And I think that's the best way of saying it. We're all in this together, so we must learn how to love each other, how to deal with each other, mm -hmm. learn about each other's histories, um, have a political education so we're mm -hmm. not confused. I think also it, for a timeline purpose, he wrote Dreamer uh, one year or maybe a year and a half before right. that Welcome to, the album, uh, Welcome to America album that was shelved for a decade that's, right. that's coming out. So he was already ahead of his time mm -hmm. talking about these themes that we didn't know that he was shelving. He told me uh, a couple of years ago, he had a conversation with him about that, I think 2010, 2011, because yeah. I think Prince told me he had multiple albums and he asked him, why don't you put them out? And people just weren't ready for that. Yeah. And, and I don't think the world was ready for it, but um, I do remember when he had the dance rally for peace at Paisley in May of 2015, and then days later, um, booked uh, an arena show in yes, Baltimore. Baltimore. I think all of those proceeds went all back to them. the community. Mm -hmm. And so he he did a massive concert for free. I don't know how much he actually raised for. That was a lot. Yeah. And That's a good. I'm glad you mentioned that. And just one yeah. point I would, I would like to mention is my last meeting with Prince um, was about community, peer-to-peer uh, -peer distribution. Prince had all of these innovative ways of distributing his music. Of yeah. course, online, he was one of the first artists to sell his albums. Um, and then towards the end, he actually had his fans sell the albums. He gave me a box of CDs um, my last time meeting him. And he was like, follow me. And we went into um, the studio room and we were just talking. And he was telling me about how we are the new power generation and how he's released those albums already mm -hmm. and that we don't really need to rely on him because his work is already yeah. done essentially, and that we must continue it on. And mm -hmm. so this peer-to-peer -peer distribution, a lot of people in Minneapolis was able to capitalize off of that and really you know, get the music out to a bunch of people before yeah. Prince actually ended up selling the album in different streaming uh, platforms. So he was just always ahead and he was always about the music being in the hands yeah. of the listener yeah. and not feeling, because even in that show that he did in Baltimore, one of the things he said was, when I come back, I want to stay in your hotel. I want to eat eat at your restaurants. Mm -hmm. Kind of like with your your podcast, Healthy and Wealthy and Wise. You know, it's kind of like Prince. His definition of that is reinvesting in the community, mm -hmm. so that the people own and control instead of you know someone yeah. else coming in and taking the lion's share of yeah. the profit. And I also think that if he was still here, he would have done a benefit concert somewhere somehow. It, whether it was outdoors, whether we had to be bundled up, I don't care. He's I think he was immune to any. You know, whether he would have wear a big fuzzy purple right. coat or something. <laughs> but uh, if he would have found a place to safely distance or go live stream, he would have donated all oh, the proceeds. Yeah. And it would have been a global streaming event, uh, no doubt, if, you know, if he would have done that. But um, there was a joke, a meme that went around that um, uh, last year. It said that 
uh, no, uh, Prince would have probably done seven albums during this pandemic alone you know, just <laughs> by in quarantine. Um, but he could have, he could have done anything, um, you know, for the community and, and he would have done something in that name. Um, and I, I just, I feel that it was never about the money in those final years because in, to his point about the peer to peer, um, he wasn't looking to, you know, flip right. a massive profit at all. He was just wanting to get in the hands of people, but he wanted to get in the hands of the right people, uh, the people right. that could actually benefit from the community because he was always about that. And there's, there's other things that I don't know if we're going to run out of time, but other things that he donated to Minneapolis community ventures that was silent for decades. He didn't want that. He didn't want the, um, the, the celebrity attached to the donation. Everything was anonymous. He saved um, musical uh, programs in, in grade schools uh, around the community, not just Minneapolis, but, you know, coast to coast. Um, and he donated musical equipment or um, he uh, single-handedly helped build recording studios for people that wanted to come up and maybe cut an EP so they could get at least um, like a pro bono situation, um, a few songs professionally recorded in one of those places in South Minneapolis called Urban Ventures that I got to go to. And I saw, I'm like, he donated tens of thousands in even, even through a charity, Love for One Another, um, uh, 15 years ago, in a two year span, he, he donated a, a 1.5 million that helped go back into making sure that young musicians came on a pad of place, but nobody knew it was him. That's awesome. Yeah, we're not necessarily running out of time. I just remember you saying you had to go get dinner soon. So, you <laughs> <laughs> like food more than me. So, yeah, <laughs> go, go get yourself some He's pancakes. But, um, I just wanted to say a couple more things before I ask you the final question. Uh, just guys, remember if you if you see value in this this opportunity and what we're sharing tonight, please hit the share button with your community. Um, and we really appreciate you guys uh, taking the time, uh, Jesse and Rich, to be here to share in the life and the memories. And I know we could probably go for another five hours. Um, <laughs> and I, I do know that um, you sort of already answered this last question. This is how I close every show. And you can take your time, however much time you want, because there's health and wealth and wisdom. Like when I think of Prince, I know he was very health conscious. And, and obviously you talked about wealth giving a lot of money away. And he had a lot of innate wisdom. But if he were here on this podcast right now, and I know the the purple streak in the in your in your screen that's prince right there um do you know what he would say my closing question for all my guests is always when you hear the phrase healthy and wealthy and wise what does it mean to you so if you guys want to answer it individually and then what do you think prince would say other than what you've already shared which was perfect well at least for me all of those things work together i think if you want to be healthy wealthy and wise you have to be on a united front within your intentions and how that what that looks like. And for Prince, he was all about funk. He would always be like, if, if you can describe it, it's not funky. That was his his motto. Um, so I think for me, healthy means doing whatever I can to stay. For me, I love to sew buttons. I love to read. I love to write. I love to organize um, against systems of oppression. So for me, it's just being involved in the process that would always allow me to maintain that, that passion because I get a lot of passion out of reading, writing, and sewing. Um, and I think that in return, I feel healthier. 
Um, and the wealth is not necessarily always monetary. It's mm -hmm. more so just the the flavor and the it's like when you're eating a good meal and it's like, oh, that tastes so good. That's how it feels for me when mm -hmm. I'm involved in the process that I know is going to eventually work out. And that's what Prince did his whole life. He disciplined himself to perform music his whole life. He never stopped, really. And that discipline alone it's like, yeah, Prince was a genius and a prodigy, but he also made sure he went through the work to ensure that possible. So, yeah, he was willing to do the work. Yeah. And that's what it's always about. Like, are you willing to do the work? Like if you're willing to be healthy, wealthy and wise, obviously that means you have to make decisions that would allow that to be the reality. And that might mean sacrificing whatever needs to be sacrificed. But of course, it'll be for your benefit because that's what needs to be done. So, yeah. Awesome. Good answer. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> um, we we Prince all, would have said that exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we, would, we would do that sometimes. Yeah. Walk off the stage, um, but we all knew that he ate very well and um, and took care of his body. Uh, I know that in the final years, with the connection to the people's organic mm -hmm. uh, chefs that were out there, they were taking care of him. Um, and we would come to know that even one of his favorite little snacks at midnight was this vegan crispy bar. It was like peanut butter and chocolate. And that was his energy boost. Like, and he always had a sweet tooth. Everybody come yeah. to find that out too. Um, we're all guilty for that, but he ate so much better than I ever could, you know, and, um, and he always had the best chef. So I think his wealth helped him get those top notch people to keep him healthy so he you know invested in himself as much as that he gave away but the people like i said even with musicians he surrounded himself with the best and hopefully everybody with the best intention to be there for him as well as him for their him for them um it's it's a deep you know um question to answer but even before i came to minneapolis i was going to dietitian school, I wanted to learn how to educate myself, how to eat better and also educate other people how to eat better. And um, that was a journey, not just in the science aspect of food for me and realizing that he ate very well. It was an envious situation. And I always wondered why he always stayed so damn skinny. And I always <laughs> wanted to eat well to look good because it was, your skin. It was how, you know, uh, how it looked. Everybody that um, didn't invest in their uh, the good knowledge of taking care of their body, they didn't look good. And I, I always wanted to do the right thing for my body, but also I kind of learned from him as an um, a, a kind of a mentor. Where um, if he's if he looks this good and he can turn back the clock. And if I eat well, hopefully I can still look young when I'm in my 40s, like I am now. Um, and remember, you got to grow, you got to grow the afro. Make sure I can't you grow. And <laughs> you would have to stop counting time because that's one yeah, thing exactly. Prince did not yeah. do. He didn't acknowledge birthdays and yeah. all. That. Like I don't celebrate that. That's the that's the reason I look the way I do because I don't. <laughs> it was it was some interview that I mean in concert one time he said time is a trick, right? Um, but also in an interview one time he said that. Um, you know, I looked this good. He's like, I stopped counting time, right? You know, <laughs> all the years and stuff. And so people were laughing, but it was true. When you stop focusing on dates and birthdays, he always said there was one birthday. Right. That's that's all we had. It's true. Mm -hmm. 
But when everybody obsesses about getting older and celebrating on that birthday, they're looking back and go, oh, I feel old. It's all in the mind. Right. So that's the wealth and that's the health, in my opinion, right there is like how you think, how you treat your body, how you uh, live your life. That's 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 more than the wealth you need. You don't need, you know, the money. It's just how you, you know, you live your life. And he lived his life on his own terms and free. He was free. free. Yeah. And again, the song for you all to listen to, if you haven't heard from Prince, Free Yourself. And yeah. One of the last, actually, it is the last single he released True. officially. And it's a hell of a statement. He's yeah. saying, love yourself so that we can love you too. Yeah. We need your help. There's so much work to do. Yeah. And that's the truth. I mean, we got a lot of work to do. If we want to really do something about the world and this mess, we got to clean it up. Nobody going to clean it up for us. So. Prince did his his best to clean it up with his music. He gave us a plethora mm -hmm. of forever memories. And again, so many people like me and Rich mm -hmm. can testify to what it's like to say, I'm going out my way to connect because this is a family thing. It's like, you know, I know Rich would be a brother for me the rest of my life. I'll know him forever because of Prince, just like you would know whoever you would meet and you can connect mm -hmm. with someone because of that, that glue that holds them together. So it's really amazing to see those connections can really remain but he brought us together right and he's continuing to bring us together there's people still flying as flying in as we speak to right. celebrate outside paisley for a candlelight vigil later tonight there's mm -hmm. people that need that connections people that never saw prince right. in concert anywhere and they rely on our stories mm -hmm. to take them there and so you know as as a lover of history and also a wealth of uh so many um, you know, experiences out at Paisley as well as in downtown Minneapolis or crossing paths with them in random places and bunkers or something. We have those things to draw on to share with people for the rest of our life. And I think he, he would appreciate that, you know, we're sharing the good and focusing on the good. And, and that's, I think what I choose to do, not just on could be a somber day for a lot of other people, but, you know, focus on what he gave us and what we can give back. Yes. So, I love that. On that note, that was that was perfect. Um, thank you guys again so much for being here. Um, I, what I'd like to do, because this is a special show, and I uh, normally on my podcast I have an intro and outro that's you know pre-recorded and all that. I'd like to close out with the same video that I open with, and we'll see you guys on my next show. For all of you tuning in again, this is Healthy and Wealthy and Wise. I'm Lois Kofi, and we had a special tribute to Prince today. So thank you guys. Comment below with what you liked best, and again please hit the share button. Um, what these guys talked about, it's all about love, life, and being able to free yourself. I like that. So thanks, guys. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe, refer a friend, and please drop me a rating or a review. If you do that, I'll reward you with a free 20-minute free coaching session on crafting your journey to your best self. Reach out to me at Lois at Lois Kofi com to claim your 20-minute slot. Until next time, be healthy, wealthy, and wise.